Last week was a very uh, uh, unique time for Amy and I as Pat came and played with all of us and kind of toyed with us for a little bit. Uh, you laughed because you were here. You saw that. You understood. He was kind of, uh, somebody asked me this week, said, I was wondering, why would he bring you on stage like he did to kind of like chop your knees? I said, that's my job. That has been my job for the last 18 years. <laughs> jokingly, jokingly, you know, that's, you got a straight man. You got to have, uh, you got to have the funny guy and the straight man. I'm usually the straight man. Uh, but in all honesty, I mean, it is a huge honor for me to be able to be uh, an opportunity for me to be able to walk alongside you. I've heard some folks say over the last several weeks, you know, we've been kind of holding back because we didn't know, is this, I mean, are you going to be the one? I mean, we didn't want to get close. We were trying to hold back. Listen, all right, let it go. All right. We're here. Uh, I, what my prayer is, is that come May, you're not going, is he still here? <laughs> well, I mean, I will tell you on my side, though, there are things that we've kind of, uh, you know, we've, there are things that we've not kind of opened the door about either. So now that you got me, I'm going to start opening the door a little bit more and let you kind of know a little bit about me and who we are as a family and those types of things. I'm not going to do it all in one week, but I will. Uh, each week, I'll pull a little bit more out, and, uh, and you'll, get to, you'll get to learn a little bit more about who I am. Uh, the first thing I would tell you is that I, uh, I'm, I'm, I've been accused of being a germaphobe. Uh, uh, I typically uh, I use a lot of hand sanitizer. Brandy, quit shaking your head. Uh, uh, you know, I, I, I don't like to get sick. Uh, I, you know, those kinds of things. Look, coronavirus is around, all right? I'm trying to make sure. Uh, in all seriousness, we do need to pray. I mean, there's a serious situation with that, and we do need to pray. Um, when I go on mission trips, uh, I'm the guy going on mission trips that I start taking antibiotics before I leave to make sure when I get there, uh, everything's going to be okay, you know? I can do whatever it is that I need to do. I get to a foreign country, and I can eat what they set in front of me and do whatever I need to do, walk into places and those types of things. And, and I don't have a problem. But, you know, in the United States, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm cautious. I hate getting sick. Literally, I hate getting sick. Uh, if I start feeling like that upset stomach, you know what I'm talking about? That upset stomach, like where you start getting hot and kind of clammy. And then, like, you just kind of start... Sh I'm like, I got to go home. I've got to get under the ceiling fan, get me bags of ice, pack around, washcloths. I hate to throw up. <laughs> I will do whatever it takes. I see you shaking your head. Y'all are the same way. Everyone says, just do it and get it over with. No. No. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I, I hate it. I hate it. I cannot stand it. I'll do whatever it takes. My stomach does get a little queasy sometimes if you uh, start talking to me about certain things. Uh, and sometimes, you know, in the moment, I'm telling you, I can handle it. I just got to take care of business and go and do. But if I have to think about it too long, I, I start getting a little, <coughs> like right now, that chokes me up if I have to think about it for too much. It bothers me. Uh, so none of us like to get sick. Uh, today... In our passage, we're in the series called Seven, and the reason that we're in a series called Seven is that we've been looking at the seven churches of Revelation 2 and 3. 
We're about to put a bow today on this. We have been walking through these, and today's the last church in Revelation chapter 3, and we're talking about the church at Laodicea. And uh, this church was a church that the Scripture says made God puke. It made Jesus want to puke. Jesus doesn't, I mean, listen, uh, he, he doesn't get sick, but there was a church that made him want to puke. And we need to see what does that look like? What does that, what did he have to say about that? Because this speaks to us. Over the last, well, this is the day, the seventh week. So over the last six weeks, we've talked about the church at Ephesus in, in Revelation 2. And Ephesus was the loveless church. We've looked at the church at Smyrna. And the church at Smyrna, they were the faithful church. We've looked at the church of Pergamum, and they were the compromising church. I don't know if you remember that. They allowed false teachers in, and they just kind of let that keep going. We went from there to the church at Thyatira, who was a tolerant church. From, from there, we went to Sardis. that was a dead church. Last week, we were at the church at Philadelphia, and they were the sending church that we looked at. Well, today, we're going to wrap it up. And we're going to talk a little bit about the church at uh, Laodicea. Now, when you're reading Scripture, it's very easy, if we're not careful, to get things kind of out of order and to take some things out of context. That's why I like to spend a little bit of time each week talking about uh, what was the context of the city and of the church, because if we do that, if we do that, it helps us to have a better understanding of what it is that the Scripture is saying and who he's talking to, because each of these letters were very personal to the, to the churches that he wrote them to. And so what he is saying, he is literally speaking into their context. And so with that, it's very important that we catch this. This letter is probably the most commonly quoted. It's probably the one that you're even most familiar with. There are phrases in here that will jump out at you if they haven't already. You're, right now, when I said that, there were probably a couple of verses or a couple of things, if you've grown up in church or been around a church, that you know specifically about this, uh, this church. Uh, well, today, I think context is very important because many times what, we, what happens is, is not knowing the context, we get that wrong. And I, wa I want us to think about this. Laodicea was... Um, it was a very wealthy, wealthy city, a very wealthy city. It was a banking and financial center. It was known. Uh, there was a lot of gold in that city. Uh, it was a textile, clothing, and um, uh, wools and linens were produced there. Uh, it, it was a place that had a very strong medical school there. There were lots of, in fact, they were known for like an eye salve that was developed there. Uh, in that region, they had these specialty, I mean, they were black sheep, literally black sheep that produced really, really fine, strong black wool. And uh, it was sold and marketed. I mean, taken all over the known world of that day. Uh, the, the medical school, I told you, they, it, was, it had to do with ophthalmology and they developed a salve that would be treated for eye, eye situations. So it would go all over the world from there. It was known in a region called the Tri-Cities, not like East Tennessee, you know, like Bristol, Johnson City, all that, uh, Kingsport. This is more like uh, Laodicea, Hierapolis, and Colossae. 
just a little bit here. If you were to go back to the book of Colossians chapter 4, at the end of chapter 4, Paul says, hey, take this letter, and I want you to let the church at Laodicea read it, and I want you, Colossae, to read the church that I sent to Laodicea. So presumably, there was a letter out there that Paul wrote, all right, uh, to that church. And he said, exchange that letter. These these cities were so close. Again, I've told you, if you get the chance to go with us uh, to Central Asia, you get to see some of these places. You see Laodicea and Hierapolis and Colossae, they're like 10 and 12 miles apart. I stood on the mound of Colossae, and the, and the guy that was leading said, hey, you see those white caps over there? That's Hierapolis. At the base of that is Laodicea. And I mean, you can see those cities back and forth. So it was known as the Tri-Cities area in, those, in that day. In AD 60, there was a huge earthquake that happened. And when that earthquake happened, it destroyed all of those cities. And Rome sent money to the region to rebuild. Laodicea, because it was so wealthy, said, hey, we got this. And literally sent the money back to Rome. I mean, it was a very, very wealthy place. Medical, uh, business, financial and banking. I mean, it was a wealthy place. But here's the problem that Laodicea had. Laodicea had an issue is with everything that they did have, they had no natural water source, all right? They had no natural water source. And that's huge as we start to look through this passage, all right? Uh, And you're going to see. So with that, we're going to start reading in Revelation chapter 3, and I'm going to read verse 14. I'm going to do what I normally do. We're going to read a passage, and then we're going to talk about it for a minute, and then we're going to move on. So Revelation 3, beginning of verse 14, says this, and to the angel, now remember, The angel is the pastor. Jesus is speaking this to John. He says, and to the angel of the church at Laodicea, write the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Now, a couple of quick things here. When it says the beginning of God's creation, uh, the Jehovah's Witness would love to take that and say, see, Jesus was created. No, what that beginning of God's creation means, he was the source of God's creation. God has, Jesus always has been, if you go back to uh, Genesis chapter one. He has always been, he will always be, all right? So I think that's very important that you catch this. Notice how Jesus introduces himself, because when he introduces himself, he is doing it very specifically to the church and to the people that he is going to be speaking to, all right? So he says very, very clearly in 314, he says, these are the words of the amen. Now, amen means this. It means it is true, it is so, it is right. Now, you may have grown up in a church that when the pastor or the preacher or whoever was preaching, you would start hearing, amen. Listen, that's like shouting, now that's throwing red meat to the preacher, all right? That gets him to keep going. See, and basically what you're saying at that point is, that's true, that's right, I agree, preach, go. So Jesus is saying to these people this, he says, listen, I am the amen. He says, the faithful and true witness. He says, listen, what I'm about to tell you is right, What I'm about to tell you, Laodicea, is true because I have the perspective. I'm the one that can see. I'm the one. Listen, most of us, many times, we can't naturally see ourselves correctly. I don't know if you realize that. 
Uh, many times we view ourselves in a way that really is not correct. We're in this season. I'm not talking about winter dark season. I'm talking about American Idol season, all right? Uh, the, the show is back, is it not? I mean, you're seeing it all over. It's, it's, it's started back up. And heaven help some of these people. Do they not have friends who will say, son, you cannot sing. Uh, I mean, you, there is no reason for this. Is there no one that is walking in their lives? Because they obviously think they have more talent than they do. This, Jesus says, listen, I see you, and I see correctly. What I'm about to tell you is true because I created you, and I see all. This is why it's so important. This is why we tell you each and every week, you need to be connected to a community. You need to be connected into the church. We want you to jump into a life group, a class of some sort, because we need one another. We were not created or designed to do this thing alone because we don't see ourselves correctly. We, we are blind to our own faults. And I need, we need brothers and sisters who will walk with us and be able to speak into our lives so that, and say, hey, I've noticed this. I have seen this. Do you recognize this? Because we all have a tendency to not see ourselves clearly. So Jesus tells them, he says, listen, I'm the amen, I'm the true, I am the, I, I, what I say is true, and I want you to listen. Because you see, they, had an in, they didn't have a correct picture of themselves. So look at verse 15, 15 and 16. This is ones that you've probably know and recognize. He says, I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. I think the King James Version says, spew you out of my mouth. Now, have you, how many of you heard this passage before? You, you've seen this? You've known, okay, a lot of you. All right. This is a passage that we know. Notice right here what Jesus said. Jesus says, I know your works. He has told every church this. He says, I see, I know. I'm omniscient. I'm all-knowing. He says, listen, I know. I know what you're doing, and I know why you're doing it. I know your motivation. And I want to bring this to us again. I've said this now for two or three weeks. It is so important. Listen, our actions count. What we do counts. But I want you to know your motive counts also. Listen, I think all of us at some point have been in a situation where we're going, yes, I want God to get glory. I want him to get glory for what I do. But deep down inside, you were going, boy, I sure hope somebody sees me in this. I hope they know what I'm doing here. Does anybody, is anybody, yeah, I want to serve, but you see me? You may have not pointed and said, see me, but inside you're going, is anybody watching this? Folks, that's all about motive. And at that point, it's not about serving that person, though that person needs to be served, and we need to jump in and serve. But it's not about getting God glory at that point. That was all about, God, I want that glory. And we are chief at being glory thieves. And Jesus says this. He says, I know. 
I see because I am the true and correct witness. I am the great amen, amen, and I know your motives. Folks, that speaks to war. I don't know about you, but that speaks to me. And Jesus says this. He says, listen, I would rather you be cold or you be hot. I'd rather you be cold or hot. And, and because you're not, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. I want to spit you out of my mouth. Isaiah chapter 19, verse 14. We can write that down and go back and look at it later. Isaiah 19, 14 uh, is the same word there that God uses in a prophecy. And when he, when he does that, what he's doing is he is comparing uh, a drunk man, one who is drunk, physically drunk, and it says he is staggering in his vomit. That is a very, very graphic word. So when it says, spit you out of my mouth, he's literally saying, vomit. Folks, I want us to grab that for, not literally, but you, I want you to grab that for a minute. When, when that word comes up, it shouldn't, we should smell that. I mean it. We, should, we know what that is. And he says, I would, I would that you're, you're either hot or cold. One of the two. Now, what ends up happening here is most of us at this point, what ends up happening is we, because of the, what we've seen there, and uh, we, we, we end up minimizing this a little bit, I would say, because what we end up doing here is that we take this and and many times think, well, what, what he's saying here is this. He's saying, listen, I either want you to be all in and living hot and going after me, or I want you to go over here and be cold, and I want you to live, just, it, just do whatever you want to do. Who is he writing this to? Do you remember? To the church, to those that are following. He, Jesus would never tell the church I want you to be cold, so just go live like you want to live. He, no, what he's doing here, see, this is why context matters. Do you remember a minute ago when we talked about how the water source means something? Remember that? Well, listen, because Laodicea had no water source, they had to pump water in. And so they were strategic. They sat between these other cities of Hierapolis and Colossae. And so to get natural, fresh cold spring water, it was pumped in. Literally, there was an aqueduct that was built from Colossae that fed back. It had to go about 10 miles. So it comes up bubbling. It comes up cold. It comes up fresh. And then it has to travel 10 miles. It's a, it, it's a feat. It's a work of art. You can still see some of the drainage, some of the pipes, all of that when you're standing in those ruins. It's amazing. But that cold water travels 10 miles, and guess what happens by the time it gets there? It becomes warm. Uh, 12 miles to the north, there, there's a city called Hierapolis, and the reason that the caps at the top, when I'm standing at Colossae and I see it's not snow, it's mineral. It's a hot spring. At Hierapolis, it, I mean, it's a hot spring, and you, I've got pictures of me standing in this hot spring, water bubbling up. And you know what the white is? It's the, it's the mineral deposits that are there. And so to get hot water and to get medicinal water, do you know what Laodicea would do? They built an aqueduct that would drain that water down, and it would, it would come to them. But by the time that it got to them, that hot water was what? It was warm. It was warm. 
And, and because of the heavy calcifying and mineral deposits, all the pipes would begin to calcify up. Begin to calcify up. And listen, what he is saying here, it, it, he's drawing a reference here that it's not the temperature of the water, it's the distance from the source that's mattering the most here. Because I want you to hear this. Cold water is good. You ever been, listen, we're almost to summer, and though I hate mowing, listen, though I don't like it, and I'm out there mowing, I'm pushing that thing, I still push my yard, as I'm pushing that thing, sweat drenched, what do I want when I go inside? I want an ice cold cup of water. If I go to the faucet and I just turn on or I don't get ice and it just kind of tilt back some tepid water, ah, ah, nobody likes tepid water, lukewarm water. You roll out of bed in the morning. You roll out of bed in the morning and you want to go, let me say this, me, I've done this before. I go to get my first cup of nice. And listen, there are nights that Amy and I go to bed and I'll look at her and go, in just a few hours, I get a cup of coffee. <laughs> uh, it's probably weak, I know. But you're learning more about me, all right? <laughs> get up in the morning, and I go, and I reach for that coffee pot, and I pull it out, and I pour it, and I take that drink, and it's like, oh, somebody didn't make coffee last night, and it's like what's left over from yesterday morning. Listen, you like your coffee hot, or at least over ice, iced coffee, you pay $5 for iced coffee. You like it hot or you like it cold. You don't want it lukewarm. What ends up happening when you begin to take in lukewarm stuff, is it makes you sick. You don't want that. You see what Jesus is saying here? He says, listen, your distance from me, church, church followers, your distance distance from me. You're neither hot nor cold. I want, you to be, I want you to be a cool drink of water. I want you to be refreshing, living water who is drink from my, you drank from my fountain so that those who don't know me, when they come in contact with you, you are a cool drink of water to them. Listen, I would that you would be hot, that you would be white hot so that when they come in contact with you, you're medicine to an aching heart, just like it's soothing water to aching bones. He says, but really? You're neither hot nor cold. And because of that, I'm going to spew you out. I'm going to vomit you out. See, He's calling us to be one or the other, and he's saying to this church, church, you have become far from me. Each week when we meet and I talk to you about the church, and I want to remind you, we're not talking about those four walls. We're not talking about the physical building. See, we call this physical building the church. You know what this is? This is the building where the church meets. We are the church, the people. We're the church. And so he's speaking to us today. And he says, I would that you're either hot or you're cold. You're fired up for me. You're a cool drink of water, but as is, you're neither. You're distanced from me. You see, you, you've grown distant. And today, he's calling us back. Listen, the distance makes God sick. My question to you is this, is does your distance today, believer, make you sick? 
you're distanced from God or are you just, hmm. Keep going in Revelation chapter 3, verse 17 through 19. Jesus goes on, and I want you to catch this because he begins to help them to understand that they're not what they think they are. Their vision is not correct. He says this, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Can you imagine being a church and telling Jesus, I need nothing? I need nothing. He says, I, you, I need nothing. Not realizing, not realizing that you are wretched and you're pitiable, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. Do you catch all of these things that he is speaking into the context? He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see, verse 19, those whom I love, I reprove, I correct, and I discipline, I train. So be zealous and repent. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment that I call you together. We send out every kind of email. We call. We, we want you to come. Get, get to the building Sunday morning because we've got a letter for you. A letter has traveled in, and you walk in, and I'm not even the one speaking it, but the messenger brings this letter, and the messenger lets us know that Jesus himself has written something to us. This is what's going on in that day. And as they begin to read and he says, listen, you're poor, you're wretched, you're naked, you can't see. Can you imagine them going, poor? What are you talking about? We've got everything. We're rich. We have gold. We, I've got fine, nice, black, wool, skinny suit. What are you talking about? I've, I've got everything I need right here. Have you not seen what I own? Have you not seen the horsepower pulling my chariot? Do you not understand? Listen, what do you mean I can't see? We're in the eye capital of the world. Ming Wang has nothing on us. Listen, we've got the ability. We can see. And they thought they had everything. You know what Jesus says to them? Jesus says, listen, you're being self-reliant. You're looking at me and you're saying, you got it all. You don't need anything. And yet you are missing it all. You see, they didn't understand. They had an incorrect perspective, an incorrect view of who they were and what they had. Folks, let me ask you today as a community, as a, as a group of followers of Jesus, I don't think anybody would ever raise their hand, and I'm not asking for you to, but I am asking you to evaluate today. Do you view yourself as one who has everything, as one who, I need nothing, God. I, I've, I've got what I need. Does your life walk out in self-reliance? Do you realize how rich we are, literally how rich we are? Did you realize in the world today that if you have a car, a car, don't think just Middle Tennessee, you got to think in the entire world. If you have a car, you're rich. Yet 
Most of us have two or three. In the most of the world, the two-thirds world, if you have food for your next meal, you know, we have a pantry full of stuff and think we don't have anything to eat tonight. If you have one set of clothing, you're rich, you're well. We have small rooms <laughs> that we put all of our clothes in, and then we have to go to the spare room. Does our life say, I need nothing? I need nothing. Where Jesus says that we pray for daily bread and we go to the cabinet and half a loaf looks, yeah, it's a little hard, and we throw it out. Folks, this is not meant, this isn't about guilt. You know what this is about? This is about us seeing with eyes, seeing with eyes like Jesus would desire us to see. He would desire us to see. And he's asking today, hey, what is your distance from me? You see, you think you're all that. You think you have all of this covered together, yet you have grown distant. You've grown cold. Excuse me, you've grown lukewarm. You're not even cold and you're not hot. You've grown lukewarm. And he says, it makes me sick. It makes me sick to see this. He calls them and he says this. He says, those whom I love, notice this, he says in verse 19, those whom I love, I reprove, I correct. And he says, and I discipline. So be jealous, zealous, and repent. So be zealous and repent. Folks, listen, Jesus loves us. If you are a follower of Christ, you've entered into a covenant relationship with him. You've understood that you are a sinner. You were born a sinner. Therefore, you sin. You didn't sin and become a sinner. Because of our father and our mother, Adam and Eve, we were born a sinner and that we are separated by him, from him because of that. And then at the right time, he sent his son Jesus to die for us, to come and to live a perfect life, one without sin, to reclaim the glory, to reclaim the glory, do God the Father. And then at the right time, he has opened our eyes so that we might respond in love and say, Jesus, I'm yours forgive me. I want to have a right relationship. If that's been you, if you have experienced that, then you are in a covenant relationship and he will never, ever leave you. He loves you. And like a good father, a good, good father, you know what a good father does? He disciplines his children. He lovingly disciplines. See, we have a wrong view of discipline because we are fallen people and we view discipline as punishment. In the scripture, God disciplines his children to bring us back to him, to redeem us. You see, discipline is always about redemption and restoration of relationship. 
And the scripture tells us that he says, listen, I am reproving, I am correcting those. I love you, I discipline you, and I want you to stop going in this direction, and I want you to turn and go this direction because you're headed in a way, in a place of disaster. And today he calls us and he says, listen, I love you. I love you. I don't want you to continue going in that direction. Will you turn around? You once were hot. You once were cold. But today the distance between us is great. And your life, your life screams, I need nothing I think self-reliance is a really good uh, vision of what he's trying to say. Maybe our life has become so self-reliant that we functionally, we don't go before the Father. Quickly, Revelation 3.20 says this. Revelation 3.20 through 22. Behold, Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. Does this sound familiar to anybody? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him, not into. I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. Verse 21, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Verse 22 He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now here, the reason I emphasize this real quickly is this. Who's this written to? Real quickly, who's this written to? The church. We utilize this and hear it so often in the the case of evangelism. And I, I do think it can be utilized in that way. Speaking to a lost community. But you realize context matters. He's speaking to the church. And he says, listen, I'm standing here. I am knocking. There's a famous picture. There's a real famous picture. Maybe you've seen it where Jesus is standing at this door. You know, blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus. He's standing at this door. And at that front door, there is no handle. He's knocking on the door as if to say, I, need, I don't know how to get in. Listen, when Jesus is calling you to surrender your life, he opens your eyes and he invades your life and you say, Jesus, I love you, I want you. What this picture right here is, is him standing at the door of the follower of Jesus, knocking and saying, listen, if you'll open up, I will come in, not into, I will come in to your house, to you. He said, and what does he say he would do? He would sit down and he would have dinner. He would eat. He would eat in this day and time for someone to come to your house and you to refuse to let them come in was an affront. It was an affront, especially if it was someone you had relationship with that was family. And he says, listen, church, those of you who say, you follow me, I died for you, I claimed you, you claim me, yet today you are far from me. You're not hot, you're not cold, you're lukewarm. I'm standing here and I am knocking. And if you open that door, I want to come in and I want to fellowship with you again. Do you know in the Middle East, in this area, when you go to the home anyone's home, just to be real honest with you, but specifically when you go to the home of a believer, 
It's an all-day affair. I've told you about being in Central Asia and sitting down at a, at a lunch that turned into dinner, that there was really no... I mean, they, did, they, they gave us what they had, and then they went to neighbors and got more. We talked. We fellowshiped. We commu- it was communion. You see, the meal was secondary to everything around it. It was about relationship and being known. And Jesus is saying right here, I'm knocking. Will you open? I want to come into your home. Follower of Christ, I've already come into your life. I've changed your heart. I want to come into your home again. I want to sit at your table. Some of the greatest times in my home happen around our table. Some of the greatest times in the life of my family is when we're out and we're sitting around a table somewhere. When we go and we do a picnic as we used to do when my kids were smaller and we'd throw a blanket out. And you know what that blanket became? It became the table. The table is where relationship and fellowship and being known And Jesus says this. He says, you're distant. Can we share a meal? That's why the Lord's Supper is so important to us because he laid his life down and we get to remember and we share in that meal together. And Jesus says, I'll come in and we'll eat. We'll eat. And he says, when we are walking you will become a conqueror. Just as I've conquered, you will conquer. That's what he says. I'll grant him to sit, the one who conquers, I will grant with him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear. Let him hear. Let him hear what today Jesus is saying, as the Holy Spirit is moving in this place, he is speaking to you. And he's asking this, are you self-reliant? Are you, have you, there once was that day, and I want you to stop here just a moment. Those of you who have followed Christ, can you remember a day when you were hot? I mean, people knew you followed Jesus. Can you remember a day when people would come to you because they needed a drink of water and your life bubbled with the living water of Jesus? Maybe today you find yourself and you're just eh, a little tepid. A little tepid. It's a bad spot to find ourselves. This is the call of the Spirit. To him who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I want you to hear a couple of diagnostics, some questions. 
And I, before I read these, I want to make sure that you hear this. You need to always hear, and you're going to hear, it's not about perfection. It's about direction. Am I walking with Jesus? Listen, there's ebb and flow to life. You get what I'm saying? There's ebb and flow. But I look more like Jesus today than I did yesterday. And I'm looking by the grace of God to look more like him next year than I do this year. Because I'm headed, I want to know you. So I'm not talking about perfection. Does your life make Jesus smile? Or is your life make him want to spit out? A couple of questions we could ask. Do I sit with Jesus and talk with him? Do I, if, if the dinner is about sitting and talking in communion and eating his word, do I sit with him? Do I sit with him? Do I want to hear him? Do I listen? Do I, do I read? Do I spend time? How do we know Jesus today? Through his word. If you're feeling like, I don't know Jesus, then I would say, you got to get in his word. Do you read? Is his body, is it convenient or is it commitment? Are you one that says, listen, I'm generous. I'm going to tithe. I'm going to be with him. I'm going to give to those who are in need. Or is it just, ah, here's a buck. Do you tip? Are you more interested in your comfort than in what Christ has called? Here's what I want you to hear. I need everybody looking right here. We serve a God of grace. He gave us a gift we did not owe and paid a debt that I could not pay. And today... Romans 8, 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You may be right now, you're sensing or you're feeling, yes, this is for me. You may even be feeling a tinge of guilt right now. And I want you to hear this. That is him lovingly, gently, gingerly calling you home. Do you realize we can always go home? You may have been in a relationship where you felt like I could never go home. I want you to know that is not the relationship with Jesus Christ. We can always go home. And today, you may be looking for home. And I want you to know that the Spirit is here and He is saying, Come, drink from the living water. And when you drink from the living water, you will never thirst again. You've been drinking out of fountains that have left you thirsty. Jesus will quench your thirst. He, you've been taking these tepid showers, I want you to know. He wants to shower you with his hot love that will soothe you, that will heal you. Believer, come home. Those of you who are far, 
Come home to him today. Father, we love you. We magnify you. And we ask and we thank you, that you for being gracious. We thank you for loving us. We thank you, Jesus, for laying your life down. Jesus, I'd ask that today, if there are those in here who've never surrendered their life to you, Jesus, I'd ask that you would awaken them. Holy Spirit, would you point them to Jesus? Jesus, you said that it, when you are lifted up, you will draw all men unto yourself. And today we know that you are lifted on the cross and that the Spirit today is lifting you up. We've sought to do that. Now will you do the work that only you can do and draw men and women to yourself today? Would you save them? I also ask Jesus if there are those today who have found themselves themselves in a spot where they're just lukewarm. I remember being hot. I remember being cold. But today, Jesus, would you draw them home? I'm going to ask our ushers, would you come? Ushers, you come. We're going to take up an offering. This is the time to give your offerings, your tithes. This is the time to drop in that guest card, that prayer card. You go ahead and you can begin serving and passing. As we, as that basket goes by, here's what I'm going to ask also. Maybe today, follower of Christ, you need to bring an offering to this altar. And it's you just before Jesus saying, I surrender anew. You have my heart. You've changed me. I remember a day and I repent. I come back. I want you to know the altar is open. Lord Jesus, we love you. We honor you. We magnify you, and we do today ask that you would turn us from the direction we've been going to where our face is fully facing you, and that we would feel again, we would know again your love, your peace, your presence anew again. In the name of Jesus, we ask these things.